welcome to today's podcast with Mike Orth, founder of Launchpad Health, a healthcare strategy firm. And he's also an expert in price transparency. This program is brought to you by the Healthcare Administrators Association, HCAA. For over 40 years, HCAA has supported third-party administrators and the self-insured employer industry through educational opportunities from leading industry experts. For information on joining HCAA, please visit our website, www.hcaa.org. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar, and I'm on a mission to bring value to the healthcare industry through improved transparency. And my goal from this podcast is to give you one aha moment that you can implement in your business, whether you are a TPA, broker, or an employer. In my day job, I run a company called Zaki Point Health that helps self-insured employers and their employees find meaning from their healthcare data. Please like or share this podcast on your favorite podcasting tool so we can bring together a community of like-minded professionals. Before we begin, I would like to bring you a word from our sponsor, Talon. Talon's platform includes My Medical Shopper, a market-driven self-service tool that brings consumers into the healthcare marketplace by arming them with previously hidden prices along with quality and convenience information to select the provider that best suits their needs. The platform secures compliance with the transparency in coverage rule, along with the QPA and advanced EOB requirements of the No Surprises Act. Talon, the model used in the drafting of the federal transparency regulations, is available for everyone to profitably participate in the transformation of the healthcare industry marketplace. I'm thrilled to share insights from Mike Orth. He has spent over 12 years in the healthcare space as an entrepreneur, also leading product at United Health and running operations at Bright Health, a successful health plan startup. And more recently, he's helped TPAs, brokers and employers understand the nitty gritty details of the trans- price transparency regulations. Today on our podcast, you will learn what are the fines that we are expecting employers to have to pay with these price transparency regulations. What is really hard about getting these machine-readable files pulled together and what is adding complexity? Why cost estimator tool can be a valuable consumer tool? And should TPAs charge for these tools and this regulation compliance? And how much and how can they really make this work? Let's dig in. Good morning, Mike. I am super excited to have you on a podcast today. I've heard you at conferences and, and other kind of forums. You know a lot about this topic of price transparency. But first, why don't you tell our audience, why should they listen to you? Well, first, Ramesh, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. I think the first thing I would say is right now, price transparency is quite literally my job all day long. I founded a company called Launchpad Health. And what I do is I consult with TPAs and employers specifically on price transparency right now, helping them understand what are these regulations? What does compliance look like? But not just from a compliance standpoint, also helping them think about how do you operationalize this in a way that is not overly disruptive to your plan and your your product roadmap, but also thinking about how do you really take advantage of what I think 
these regulations represent, which is a transformation in the marketplace for care and really setting a foundation for a marketplace. Beyond Launchpad Health, I, as you mentioned, I've been speaking in front of a variety of organizations. I'm very involved in uh, the Self-Insurance Institute of America, sitting on their Price Transparency Committee. And that committee, we do a lot of work, but specifically we share feedback with the federal regulators as they're going through rulemaking right now. So we have an avenue to kind of provide industry feedback to them. And we've seen with their rulemaking on the QPA that they have, I think, done an excellent job of incorporating some of the key concerns and, and key areas of feedback we've had for them. We also collect data on things like we're looking very closely at IDR as that's rolling out. We're not quite live yet, but we're interested in really understanding how are these regulations going to affect the self-insurance industry and thinking about best practices as we move forward. So I'm heavily involved in price transparency. I have a deep background in operations, helping health plans go from zero lives to a million. Early in my career, I helped start a company called Bright Health, which Mm -hmm. is involved in the Medicare, individual, Medicaid space, a variety of areas. So that's really where I got my start in operations compliance. And I I like to think of myself as not just a compliance guy, although I do enjoy advising clients on that piece, but also really thinking through at the process flow level, how they're going to operationalize these changes. Well, this is fantastic, Mike. You have a tremendous background in product innovation and growing health plans. I'm sure some of that will really be very helpful to our listeners here. Well, let's kind of dig straight into what is expected of plan sponsors come July 2022 or Jan of 23. And what should they be really thinking about here? Right. It's it's a great question. Starting in July, plans will be responsible for publishing their machine-readable rate files. It originally included three files. It's now down to two. The federal agencies dropped the RX file. But what plans are responsible for starting July 1st is first an in-network rate file. So that includes all of your contracted rates, either that you've directly contracted with as a TPA or plan, or even through a third party. So think about rental, networks, think about out-of-area wrap, gap fill, direct contracts, any sort of contract needs to be in that file. And and you need to be able to say here with this specific provider for this specific service, here's the contracted rate. So that's a tall order. I think for some plans, especially TPAs that have a variety of different networks that they're pulling into a single plan that they offer. So it is, I think, difficult, but we also received, the industry received updated guidance this last February from the federal departments that allows plans to create what's called a table of contents, which makes this whole process of developing the in-network rate file a little bit easier, where you can link out to other rate files, you can kind of throw it all together in one pot and you don't necessarily have to worry about as much parsing through, okay, I've got my rental network and I've got my direct contracts. How do I mesh those together? 
that part was made a little bit easier. So that's the in-network rate file. And then the second one is the out-of-network allowed amount file. That's going to be more important for plans that focus on an RBP strategy. So if you don't have contracted networks, you're going to be putting a lot more effort in that file in terms of listing out the allowed amount prices that you've paid or allowed on out-of-network claims. The nice thing about that file, the allowed amount, is that you can do that at the TPA book of business level. So you don't have to necessarily get down to each individual plan. Great. So let's dig a bit more. So you talked about this contracted rates table of contents. You don't really need to parse out if you have a rental network and wrap network and direct contracts. So let's say if you have a plan with 2000 employee lives and you might have a couple of these set up you're saying basically you can just drop those two files and make it available on your website as a TPA for that particular plan sponsor. Just kind of make sure that our listeners are understanding this. That's generally right. The one caveat though, Ramesh, I'll add is that, well, this process that plans have to go through for the July deadline in terms of putting these rate files together was made a little bit easier with this change. The challenge is going to come into play when plans have to deliver on the price transparency tool that is due on January 1st of Mm -hmm. 2023. So with the price transparency tool, that's kind of a a whole order of a magnitude greater in terms of the effort that's required. And it's going to be pulling from these machine readable rate files. So any sort of shortcuts that plans take in putting together these machine-readable rate files, plans aren't going to be able to take those same shortcuts when it comes to the price transparency tool. Because when the member goes on that tool and they say, okay, I want to get, I I need to have a, a joint replacement surgery done, and they start looking through different providers, you need to be able to accurately quote the rate that they're going to pay at a particular facility for a particular provider and base it on their current cost share, deductible, and and so on. So to the extent that your machine-readable rate files are correct, it's going to make it a lot easier for you to be able to get that price transparency tool in place for your members. So that's kind of the second big lift you're talking about. Jan, next year, ability to allow the member to understand for a provider, for a particular service, at a CPT code level for those 500 as I understand. That's right. The, the 500 shoppable services. Yeah. Yep. And then being able to use the real-time information about your deductible and the plan, and then being able to tell them, here's what you need to be thinking about paying. So that basically forms the basis of what is expected to have in place for the plan sponsors. That's right. That's due by January 1st of this coming year. And then I think it's important for plans to keep in mind that that's, as you mentioned, for the first 500 kind of shoppable services that the departments have outlined in their rulemaking. So those are common services that people will will typically be searching for. But come January 1st of 2024, so a year after that first set of services are, are due to be in the tool, plans will have to reveal the cost for any service. 
So that's where we're headed. And in talking with clients, a lot of them are just kind of going directly into that share every rate that we have. Maybe there's a few that are hard to get to, but it's pretty significant in terms of what's being asked of plans to put in that tool. And what I share with folks is that a lot of people will say that, oh, we already have a price transparency tool. We already have a tool that members can go online and they can look at the cost of a particular service, or maybe even there's a third party. I know several companies, startups that have utilized the hospital machine readable rate files that have recently come out. Although compliance there is nowhere near perfect, but they're utilizing that data. And they say, well, you know, how is this that different? And what I say is this is far and beyond what you see out there today in terms of what's being required. Because keep in mind, departments are not saying just give an estimate. They're saying based on all the available data you have, whether it's contracted data, it's the plan design, the cost share, the deductible, the prescription drug data, the claims data you have, even for out-of-network providers. You need to be able to pull all that data as a plan together in this tool and be able to accurately quote the member on exactly what they're going to pay. Now, that might change during time of service. The provider might throw in a charge for radiology or pathology that you just can't expect as a plan. But if you've ever operated a health plan before, you know that what you're required to do is sometimes one thing versus what the member thinks you should be doing as a plan. And if you're running a call center, you know members are going to be calling in after their visit and they're going to say, why am I being charged an extra couple thousand on top of what you quoted me in this price transparency tool? So I think the important thing for plans to think about is not just what the compliance requirement is, But think of this as they're putting data out there that they're quoting members on. They need to really do their best to make sure that that data is accurate. So this kind of really opened up, first of all, one thing is a compliance. The other is what should be done as good best practices. But before we jump into the best practices and how TPAs and brokers and employers should be thinking about serving this, what is at stake? What is the repercussion of this? Are there fines? And who pays the fine? How much is it? That's right. That's the question everybody has right now. And I think it's, it's crucial that plans pay attention to this. So ultimately, the plan sponsor is responsible for compliance. They're ultimately the ones that if fines are imposed, it'll be imposed on them, the employer in the case of Uh, the self-insurance industry. However, TPAs are really the ones that are doing the legwork here. They're really the ones that if you want to continue to have a good name in the industry and continue to do business, you have to not only be able to comply, but really show that you understand these regulations and you have a solution that works for your clients. Mm -hmm. So TPAs are the ones that are doing this implementation. And You know, in terms of fines, we just this last January heard from the federal departments, they published an update saying that they will fine up to $100 per member per day for the machine readable rate files if you have, if you're not in compliance. 
Now, we don't know if, if there's some sort of good faith leniency that they will provide. We're not sure if they're going to provide some sort of six-month grace period for plans to really get these files correct and in place. But I think that is pretty significant. No matter how many members you have, whether it's 5,000 or it's 500,000, that is a significant fine for plan sponsors, for TPAs to be looking at. So it's important that plans do the best that they can in terms of these machine readable files. I know I've, I'm working with clients right now where they already know that they're not going to receive some data that they need from their vendor partners. And so I think it's just a matter of the federal departments come knocking, being able to show to them that you have done your very best to make these files as accurate as you possibly can and continuing to improve on it as you can over time. In terms of the price transparency tool, I'll just add, there's no clarity yet on fines for that, but the rules for both the machine-readable rate files and the transparency tool have been published since 2020. So I think the federal departments, unlike what we've seen with the QPA and IDR and surprise balance billing, there's been some leniency there in terms of timelines. I would be surprised if we see as much leniency from the federal departments for machine-readable rate files and the transparency tool. So leniency on the time, but also on the amount of fine, or you're basically saying that six months, hopefully, we all hope that they're kind of lenient. What's your kind of prediction here? I would hope this is a significant change for the industry. So I would hope that there, it's not like July 1st, I'd be very surprised if they're going out and they're starting to define plans. But I think you'll see fairly quickly them reaching out, them going through machine readable rate files trying to get a pulse on how compliant the industry is. And similar to what we've seen with NQTL, for folks listening who have been following the process there, the DOL is certainly cracking down. They're really focused on making sure people are getting their NQTL analysis completed, but they are providing some leniency in terms of they're asking questions, they're trying to clarify, they're pointing out areas where plans can improve without imposing fines. So I would hope there would be a similar process for transparency and coverage. And what I'm sort of hearing the advice is just make sure you collect the data on, if you have asked your vendor partner and they're not quite ready, make sure you document all of that so that it sort of helps you in the situation. Absolutely. Got it, great. So that lays a bit of the ground kind of rules here. Why is it kind of hard I think you alluded on this MRFs. I think you talked about the contracted rates and particularly when it comes to the price cost estimator tool, the accuracy becomes really important then. But why is it so hard? What is the advice here for how plan sponsors and plans and TPS should be going and delivering this? Right. I think if you take a step back and you think about in the health insurance industry, how we've traditionally tried to provide cost estimates, it's really been reading tea leaves. It's been trying to take claims data that's at least three months old. It's now the hospital rate files, but I think we've really struggled to be able to proactively both see what the cost is going to be for a particular 
service and also identify members in our plans who are even going to be seeking those services. We usually don't, we're not able to see that until after the service was already rendered and we see it in that claims data. So what we're looking at in terms of this price transparency tool is really real-time claim adjudication, claim repricing. The member can search any service. Again, they can even get down to the level of not just a specific provider, but a specific facility that that provider is working out of and look up the rate for a particular service. So again, if it's joint replacement, finding a facility, finding a provider, and then comparing that to where their cost share and their deductible is at. Now, again, if you've ever operated a health plan, tracking member data cost share seems like that would be relatively straightforward. But we know with timing and with technical glitches, it can often go awry. You can have incorrect data, whether it's something that you have to actually go back and fix or it's just a timing issue with consuming EDI files, whatever the case, providing that data in real time to a member for a estimate is going to be, I think, a very large undertaking for plans and especially smaller TPAs. An organization like the size of Abuka might be able to do this without a lot of trouble, but I think of smaller TPAs and not that they're not as well run operationally, but I think these data challenges can creep up. And again, you're going to have, I think, members calling in, complaining that they thought they were going to pay one amount for their services and it ended up being a lot more than that. So this is really, I think, a challenge because you're putting so much data out there to the member and it's, it really matters. It matters what you quote them at. They're going to be making decisions where they're going to get receive a particular service based on that information. So you need to make sure it's accurate. Yeah. And I think the other big challenge behind the scenes is the provider at the end of the day, you talked on this, might render some other additional services when you go in there. It's not like a exact science uh, when you're dealing with human body as well. Right. And it happens all the time. You go in there, they do whatever, whatever. And so you come back out five times more, maybe the bills. So this is going to exactly. be pretty big lift. Exactly. Yeah. I think plans need to have a member care strategy. They need to think about how do they message this? How do they help members understand that what they see on the price transparency tool is only an F point of, of time and there could be additional services added on top of that. Yeah. So let's maybe talk about this. I think the cost estimator can be transformative in the industry, giving people that visibility. I'm personally also a big believer about this transparency and then providing that direction. If you had to kind of give some touched on the members, we'll call in there, but what is the likely kind of upside of all of this, this cost estimator tool? What are the kind of things you are imagining happening whether it's a year after Jan 1st or several years after that? I think it's going to set the foundation for a marketplace of care in a way that we've been talking about that for a long time in this industry, but we haven't been able to achieve it because 
to your point, we haven't had the transparency we've needed into the rates that people are actually going to pay. The hospitals have not had to put their rates out there, their charge master. Now every health plan is going to have to put these machine readable rate files out there. So you combine all this data. I think it's going to create an unprecedented level of transparency that over time, I believe, will lead to a level of consumerism that we haven't seen before in healthcare that I hope will bring down the cost of care again with time. Now, some people will say, Mike, I just don't see consumerism happening. I don't see members going to their health plan's website or downloading their health plan's app and using this tool on a regular basis in a way that would really drive consumerism, drive shopping for services. And one of the things I'd say to them is, well, I don't think people have done that. One, because we haven't given them the transparency into these rates that allows them to effectively do it. But I think second, in addition to that transparency we haven't given folks is we haven't incentivized them to do it. And we can't incentivize them, of course, until we have the transparency. And what I mean by incentivized is I see an opportunity now for health plans to design their benefits differently, to put together a plan design that incentivizes a member instead of going to receive a joint replacement surgery at hospital A that's going to charge you $75,000, do it another hospital that's going to charge you $35,000. And that's actually based on a real example. So in, in Newark, New Jersey, and it's similar in cities around the country, but Newark is one example that was shared by the Kaiser Family Foundation, a joint replacement surgery can cost you anywhere from thirty-five dollars to $75,000 in that same city, depending on which provider you go to. Mm-hmm. Assuming the quality is similar, by creating a plan design that incentivizes the member to go to a provider that's closer to that $35,000 range, you're saving a significant amount of money for the plan, upwards of $40,000 for that one surgery. So you extrapolate that. I mean, I'm using joint replacement, but this is a similar story across all sorts of services that the people receive every day. And you extrapolate that and you think about the amount of savings that you could drive if you incentivize members to go to, again, good quality, high quality providers that just happen to be charging less. That's going to, I think, start driving consumers in a way that we just haven't been able to achieve until now. Hmm. So in combination with this costs and what is it going to cost the member with those tools, this plan design is what I'm hearing, Mike, from you is going to be the real innovation here and how that gets promoted. How does that get designed? How does that get executed so that the member is going to go to that $35,000 place, maybe give a little texture. So do you think plans could and should make it zero deductible? Is it legally okay to say the $35,000 place is zero deductible? 75,000 is you're going to pay a copay of 10%. So you're going to pay seven and a half thousand dollars. Sorry, coinsurance. 
you're thinking of all the right areas, Ramesh. So I actually know entrepreneurs right now who are looking at doing exactly what you talked about, starting plans or offerings to plans that essentially say, if you want to go to the $35,000 provider, yeah, it's $0 cost share deductible, please go there. <laughs> but if you want to go to the $75,000 one or even $60,000 one, it's out of network. You're paying entirely for the cost of care there. Some plans may elect to do something in between, but I think you're going to start to see plans taking all of this data, probably spending some time, again, this isn't going to happen tomorrow, but spending some time going through it, figuring out where are those high quality, low cost providers and how can we incentivize members to go there? I think they're going to start doing exactly what you offered up as examples. And again, I know entrepreneurs who are looking at that right now, trying to raise capital to do just that. Hmm. So what's the advice to a a reasonable size TPA or even a broker who's working with a number of employers, should they start tweaking? Should they start working? Should they start seeing some of this data, creating three tiers of network for this plan design? I think the first thing they have to consider is that there's going to be a significant cost for putting in place these new compliance requirements. I'm going to do a favor to everybody in the industry, at least in the TPA side of the industry, and I'm going to put out there that this is probably going to cost for employer clients somewhere in the range of 3 to $5 PEPM to put in place Transparency and Coverage, No Surprises Act. It's going to be a significant cost for the industry at first to get this in place, to be compliant. And I think it's largely going to be a pass-through cost from TPAs to employers because, frankly, I just don't think many TPAs can afford to eat this. I don't think they're, on the flip side, going to be making a profit on it. I'd be very surprised if an organization finds a way to do that. But I think this plan design is absolutely what you should be talking about in that same conversation you're having with your employer clients about the compliance pass-through cost is saying, yes, initially this is going to be more expensive for us to operate this plan because we have to put in place these new requirements, but we see savings down the road in terms of designing our benefits a little bit differently. And maybe it's making little tweaks to get started and seeing how that goes. But maybe over time, again, you're starting to collect more and more data. You're starting to analyze not just your contracted rates, your machine readable rate files, but others in the industry and identifying where those low cost, high quality providers are and designing those benefits differently. I think you have to talk about that in these initial conversations about compliance or else to your employer clients, it's just going to look like you're charging a whole lot more for the same thing. And even though it's a compliance requirement, that's, I think, a very difficult sell. So let me kind of break this down. 2023, you are kind of suggesting, proposing, and advising TPAs should think about charging 3 to $5 PEPM. And perhaps with the, these conversations about plan design changes, which may not be put into effect, but for a year to two years, you are looking at this data, refining the network, so to speak, and then adding this layer of plan design incentives so that two years out, 
plan sponsors can start to see big benefits of this, maybe anywhere between 10 to 30% cost reduction on their five, $600 PEPM that they right. spent today. I think absolutely. I think it's possible. I think what plans and TPAs also need to take into account, though, is bringing the member along on that journey. So it's just as much about the messaging to the member, helping them understand the importance of using this price transparency tool, especially if your plan design is going to be dependent on it. I think helping them understand the importance of why you're doing this. So I think it's doable. I think it's long-term. I think it's 2023, 2024 and beyond, but it starts now. It starts with getting your machine readable rate files correct, feeding that into a price transparency tool that is easy to use, that's maybe even a little fun to use, not just some white label solution, but one that you really, I think, plans need to take the time to get right and think about it in terms of a core part of your product offering. And if you can do that, I think you're setting the foundation up for those long-term savings. I think you talked a couple of times on our conversation about the member, the importance of getting them, communicating them, updating them, giving them a good experience overall. Where do you see price transparency tool vis-a-vis the broader member experience? Or do you have a point of view on that? One of the reasons I'm excited about this, these changes will be significant. It'll be a significant compliance lift for plans. But I think what's exciting is that for the first time, health plans for their members can just lay everything out there. They can lay out all the information. We haven't talked about provider directory yet or some of these other requirements, but you have to be clear about who's in the network, what they're contracted at, what your member's going to pay if they go have a service done, what their deductible's at. There's all these transparency requirements. And I think for the first time for health plans, they can just lay it all out for members and members can make a decision based on what's best for them. And hopefully at the end of the day, they're saving money. But I think it over time should make the member experience much more smooth hopefully less confusing. And for the health plan, I think about in terms of member care and member service, and there's a lot of talk in the industry about white glove, high touch care, and everybody says that, but I think it's really hard to deliver on that unless you're able to effectively give your members all the information they need. And I think plans should be viewing these new regulations in that lens that for the first time, we really can give members all the information they need. I think we can design benefits differently, but you have to put in the work up front here to get that part right. Got it. First phase, get the data, comply. Turn that into some form of a white glove if you can, promote, educate, and then overlay this plan design innovation, perhaps the blueprint, the three-step blueprint. That's right. I like that. So you talked about the provider directory, which is another big challenge here. How does that dovetail into price transparency and when is it expected? Right. So we haven't seen rulemaking yet for the provider directory. It is a requirement as of January 1st of this last year, but it's a good faith requirement. So you basically plans need to follow 
the law that Congress wrote and do their best to implement it. And then rulemaking will come out at a later date. The two key parts of that law are plans need to verify their provider directory every 90 days. So every quarter, they need to go through their directory and not just give it a quick once over, but they need to actually go through every provider, validate the contact information, validate the address, validate even the electronic information. So if there's an email address, they need to validate that. That is a significant lift for plans. The second requirement is that they need to update the directory within 48 hours of being notified of a change. So if a provider is leaving the network, they need to update that within 48 hours. Wow. This is a significant ask for TPAs and health plans. What I will say though is it's important because I think everybody in the industry knows that provider data is notoriously incorrect. And I'll even throw a statistic out there, uh, which is the CMS recently came out with a report saying that upwards of, I think about 40%, 40% of provider data is incorrect to the extent that it prevents a member from even receiving care from that provider. So the address is wrong, or maybe the provider is no longer in business for whatever reason. And that number, I think, is probably not too surprising for anyone who has dealt with provider data before. So I think it illustrates the importance of this requirement on the one hand and getting it right. And on the other hand, I think about, again, the price transparency tool. How can you have an accurate tool if 40% of your providers listed as in network are incorrect? All of these pieces that Congress and the federal departments have put in place in terms of regulations are really building into this master kind of grand concept of the price transparency tool that's that's coming next year. A lot of exciting things. I have two questions, one a very specific one and then one a broader one. So the specific is you talked about how TPAs and others can charge for it, how they can think of it as an opportunity. You shared a little bit of the numbers, three to five dollar PEPM. Do you have any examples of health plans doing this? What's been the recoil or response from plan sponsors? Or is it more like it'll only happen on Jan 1st or July 1st of this year? It's funny because health plans, vendors have been very reluctant to come out with pricing. So for example, Cigna initially did not charge for providing their clients the qualified payment amount. Again, that's not transparency. That's the No Surprises Act, but very similar. So they said, we're not going to charge, provide that. But then now they recently came out and said, starting July 1st, we're going to start charging a flat fee every year for our clients to receive that QPA. And we've seen something similar along the way. This is kind of coming out in in a slow trickle. We saw United come out and provide, I think, a number. It was upwards of $5 PPM. It could have been a little less than that to basically provide an all-inclusive package to their clients to comply with these requirements. And the industry said, no, you know, their clients said, absolutely not. We're not going to do that. And they, I believe United retracted that. I don't know if they've since come out with a updated number, but what I have to say is I'm not surprised at all at that number. I think it could even be more than that, depending on the particular TPA or vendors that you have. I think folks just need to come to terms with the fact that this is a very difficult implementation to 
operationalize it, I guess. But again, with time, I think there's opportunity. And I think there's, at least in the short term, hopefully you're able to create clarity for your members around who's in network, what is the cost of care going to be in a way that reduces your costs overall as a, as a health plan. So I think there's sticker shock right now in the industry for sure. Mm. But if you get into the details of what needs to happen, you realize this is pretty significant and there is going to be a cost to put it in place initially. Yeah. Which kind of leads me to, if you had to leave our listeners with a hope and excitement over the next three years, how can, aside from the three-step thing that we talked about, how can this really transform care to the member, benefit to the plan sponsor, and then the role smaller end of TPAs can play in this grand scheme of BUCA-dominated self-insured employer space? Well, so I think first, the opportunity here is tremendous, as we've talked about. When I think about a small TPA or really an entrepreneur looking to get started in healthcare, I think about the access to data that people have now. And there are so many different ways that we can't even imagine right now. People are going to look at this data coming out from hospitals, from health plans, the out-of-network amounts, and they're going to be able to create solutions we can't even imagine right now that I think are ultimately going to drive down the cost of care. And I think that's important. We really need to start thinking about healthcare in terms of people shopping for care. Of course, you're always going to have emergency care. You're always going to have those things that are unexpected. And partially that's where the No Surprises Act comes into play to try to keep that at a more reasonable level in terms of the cost. But in terms of pre-scheduled services, I think these rules will lead to a transformation and will hopefully lead to lower costs for everyday consumers like you and I and everybody else. We're all healthcare consumers. We all understand the pain that comes with a high dollar bill or an unexpected uh, bill. But I think I'm excited from the entrepreneur standpoint of what somebody coming in the industry can come in and do. And it's not just a buka; it's really anyone, small TPAs can utilize these rules to design better plans, to design better transparency tools, to offer all services to their clients that just weren't possible before we had this level of transparency. Yeah, I think it is a really exciting journey ahead. Any kind of message to, to our listeners, the work that you're doing, how can they connect with you about this kind of work that you're doing? Absolutely. Well, they're welcome to email me, mike at launchpad.health or go on LinkedIn and find me. Again, I don't like to just think of this as a compliance issue. I think most people think of that like going to the dentist. I also think about it in terms of what's your opportunity? What's good, your strategy going to be beyond just being compliant? How are you going to take advantage of this? I think there's certainly a, a lot of opportunity there. So folks are more than welcome to connect with me. And so do you consult with brokers, plan sponsors, TPAs? Or I'll be else in the industry? That's to our listeners. Reach out to Mike. He will be happy to help. Can you say one free session? And then after that, you'll charge them? That's right. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this is great. <laughs> well, Thanks for much. Some real gems here. Thank you for spending the time. Absolutely. It was a pleasure.
and I would like to thank Talon, our sponsor of this show. Please join us again for another podcast in the series brought to you by HCAA's Voices of Self-Funding. Please like and share so we can build a community of like-minded people. And tell us about topics that we should bring to you next. Please watch your email for updates on upcoming guests. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar of Rocky Point House.